sometimes I send them back so they know that um, she's fussy. Um, she's, uh, you know, I'm not actually, you know, my therapist doesn't put my fixed retainers on for me. I do them myself. I'm that fussy about it. Um, so I think it's just really making sure that your technician knows what, what you're expecting and you're expecting a well-adapted passive fit. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career with your host, Jazz Gulati. Imagine you've hired some builders to create a building for you. Maybe let's let's say you're building a new dental practice, okay? So these builders come and they start building the foundation and then they build the building upwards for your new dental practice. And while they're doing this, maybe they put some scaffolding everywhere to support the structures as they're sort of building everything up and, and making everything join up. Now, imagine the building is now complete. It's all done. But as the builders are leaving, you say to the builders, wait, what about all the scaffolding? You know, you need to get rid of the scaffolding, right? It looks ugly, you know, it's done, you know, take off the scaffolding. And the builders say to you, no, 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 if we take the scaffolding away, the entire building would collapse. You'd, you'd freak out, you'd be like, what the hell is this? You know, what kind of, what kind of building is this that's not stable? Well, some, someone once explained orthodontics to me in this way, we're using that analogy, and they said to me that, Orthodontics, like, what is that about? Like, they get everything straight, they get everything aligned, but unless you wear your retainers, everything will just collapse and go crooked again. And that's when they told me this building analogy. They said orthodontists aren't like these people who are leaving this scaffolding behind because without the scaffolding, the building will collapse. Well, our understanding of retention has changed a lot over the years. I know back in the day, it's probably the reason why we see so many relapse cases is that back in the day, we thought, or rather orthodontists thought, that if you put everything in a stable position and everything is class one and you get the correct interincisal angle, etc., etc., that everything will remain stable and retention is not really needed long term. And we all know that this is completely false and that retention now the thinking is, is that retention is for lifetime. Welcome Patrice Rati, I'm Jazz Galati. To this episode all about retention with Dr. Angela Olak. I mean, this is a mammoth. This is a huge topic in orthodontics and in general dentistry because if they're going to an orthodontist, guess who they're coming back to? To their general dentist to maintain their fixed retainer or their retention. So I think as general dentists, even if you're not doing like orthodontics, we need to be well versed in retention because this is something that affects so many of our patients. In this episode, we're gonna talk about the very nitty gritty details of placing a fixed retainer, about which is the most superior retainer, removable versus fixed, or do you always have to do both? So I know this will be a very impactful episode for those who are interested in learning more about retention protocols. The protrusive dental pearl I have for you is a communication one. Very often our patients will blame their lower incisor crowding on wisdom teeth. They will say, when my wisdom teeth came through, I started to get crowding. So is this true? Well, you should tell your patients no, it's not true because it was proven in a study by Haridan. Now in the group of Haridan et al, what they did is they did a randomized controlled trial. They took people with extraction of wisdom teeth and they took people without extraction of wisdom teeth who had orthodontics and they followed them up and they found no statistical difference in terms of the relapse that they had. So this is something 
something that we need to explain to our patients. Now, if you're wondering if I also know a study to help disprove the lady that says that the, her children sucked all the calcium out of our teeth, I don't have that study at hand, but you know what? When a lady just says that to me, I just ignore it, I nod and we move on because what are you gonna gain from arguing, right? I mean, what can you possibly gain from arguing in that piece of the history? Just suck it up buttercup and move on is my advice. Anyway, let's crack on with this episode with Angela Olak all about retention protocols. Angela Olak, uh, welcome to the Protrusive Podcast. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, Jazz. I'm very excited to be on your show. I listen to you um, a lot. You didn't come up on my Spotify 2020, but you will in 2021. I, I discovered you quite late. We talked with, with Goss about almost like GDPs versus orthodontists and, and when is it okay to compromise? And that was a very controversial episode. No one's heard it. And by the time this comes out, people will have heard it. But you know what? There's so much controversy. And the same thing I said to, to Goss is I'm going to say to you as well, that when I, as a GDP, I started doing my diploma in orthodontics, I thought that in restorative, there were different camps, different opinions. But all, the world of orthodontics is just polarized in a way there's so many different camps and different uh, ways to skin a rabbit uh, and I, I, I realized that more and more when I did orthodontics do you feel that when you got into orthodontics that that was the case as well I think uh, when you're uh, when you when you go through your orthodontic training you actually uh, leave there with very indoctrinated uh, views about how uh, you should be treating something so I trained at the Eastman so you know I do things the Eastman way and um you, you know, you come out very confident and you're right. As soon as you uh, come out in the big wide world, it's almost a revelation because you then realize that actually uh, all the orthodontists around you are all doing lots of different things and sometimes can lead to a little bit of um, sort of loss of confidence or questioning yourself. But, you know, I think that's a great thing. We should always be questioning ourselves, questioning what other people are doing around us. Uh, but it should always be in a collaborative manner. It should be okay, well, you do it like that. Why do you do it like that? You know, is that a better way? Should I be doing it like that? Um, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, everyone doing things differently. But I think as long as our results are good and uh, uh, of a certain standard, um, you're right. There's in orthodontics, there's many different ways. Absolutely. And just like in restorative, I found that my <laughs> mindset improved. And I like what you said there. And I'm going to say that my mindset improved and I became a happier dentist once I accept it that it's a beautiful thing in our profession, that there are so many different ways to do it. Uh, and we, if we see the beauty of that rather than see the frustration, then I think we can be uh, yeah. much happier with ourselves. So definitely when I learned more about orthodontics, I was like, oh my goodness, I thought restorative had polarized opinions, different occlusion camp stuff. But now I learned about orthodontics. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so varied, but it's in, in a beautiful way. But uh, just a little bit about yourself, Angela, and just setting the scene. Tell us a little bit about where you practice, how long you've been a, a specialist orthodontist for, a little bit about you, Angela. So um, I, I carried out my undergrad uh, training at King's. Um, whenever I do these kinds of things, I love mentioning sort of where I studied because I find it gives me a connection to other alumni. So, you know, hopefully after people have watched this, somebody might connect and say, oh, I went to King's too. And, you know, there's another uh, friend on Instagram. So, um, you know, my undergrad training was at King's and they were the best years, I think, of my life. I had such a great time there, uh, made great friends, and uh, my mentors, I would still say, are, are from there. Um, and that's where I was inspired to learn how to um, 
moved teeth, that's where I decided I wanted to be an orthodontist. Um, after that, I uh, my postgrad training was at the Eastman. Um, I'd always known that all I wanted to do was walk through that archway for three years of my life, and uh, so I did everything I needed to do, possibly do to, to um, you know, sort of get my place for uh, orthodontic training there. And um, so I've been an orthodontist now uh, for 15 years, and um, I own a practice with my husband in Wimbledon Village called the Dental Rooms. It's a um, specialist referral practice, so we have all the specialities in one under one roof it's my second home uh, my team is my second family um, and uh, you know all my time effort everything goes into that place and uh, yeah it's the fruits of uh, our labor that place um, and I thoroughly enjoy seeing my patients there it's a perfect platform for me to be able to do what I really want to do which is a multidisciplinary being part of a multidisciplinary team helping the others achieve what, what they need to achieve with their work too. It's, it's so great to be able to work as a team and you working alongside a restorative dentists. Uh, what percentage of your patients are adults and what percentage uh, of these adults that you're treating are actually part of a bigger picture that actually after your orthodontic intervention, they're going to need a rehabilitation, implants or, you know, significant restorative work. Can you just give us an idea of that? Yeah, so um, my practice is a completely private practice and it kind of leads to uh, be, um, seeing more adults than children. And I would say about 80% of my patients are adults. And of those, I would say probably about 30 to 40% of, of them are referred by one of the other specialists in the practice or are referred by um, somebody um, external to the practice, but requires input from either the periodontist or the prosthodontist, endodontist, you know. Um, but a lot of uh, prosthodontic and ortho cases come together, I find, mm. uh, in our practice. It's quite nice for the patients, um, Jazz, I was going to say, that, um, you know, they can uh, sometimes end up with two or three specialists in, in the surgery with them. Uh, it just helps to make decisions faster, and, you know, it wells the patients. I had uh, George Cardoso on the podcast who said a very similar thing to you. He's a, he's a prosthodontist and he just opened my eyes to the, the fact that I actually myself need to work more with specialists as a multidisciplinary team because you get to have more fun as a team. But there are a few little downsides uh, to that as well, I guess. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, what's your pet peeve? What's the thing that annoys you the most about working with restorative dentists and prosthodontists? What's the, what's the annoying request that you get that actually this is completely unreasonable or this is really annoying? Uh, anything you could share in, in, in that light? Um, so it's always when, when uh, me as an orthodontist with my orthodontist hat on thinks, okay, I've done it. I'm finished. I've got the teeth to exactly where he said he wanted them. And then they come in with their mirror or their shim stock. I hate shim stock. <laughs> and they come in with their shim stock and they're like, but can you make this contact like a little bit lighter? And you're like, really? What are you talking about? It's going to settle. Leave it. It'll settle. And so, you know, we sometimes have that kind of banter going on in the practice. But, you know, you have to respect each other's um, philosophies and uh, provide for them what they want. Um, so, yes, we don't have any arm twisting going on in the staff room saying, you have to say that case is finished when we see that patient together. <laughs> I, I never do that. 
I really like that example you gave because essentially the prostances ask you to intrude by eight microns, but it's just hilarious, yeah, actually. Exactly. I, quite, I quite like that one. Um, so, I mean, let's dive into the massive, massive topic of retention. Uh, so this episode yeah. is for, for, for everyone, orthodontists, GDPs, uh, students, whoever you are, because retention is huge, it affects everyone. Uh, so I want to start with a bit of contextualizing it, going back in time, because you probably get the same, and, and please uh, tell me if, if you don't. The orthodontics that I do as a GDP, uh, and I, yes, I have a special interest, got a, a diploma. Um, a lot of the patients come to me, most of the patients come to me, and a lot of them have relapse. So they've had relapse, and I'm treating them as a second intervention of orthodontics. And they all have the same kind of story. Like, oh, you know what? It wasn't emphasized enough to me, or my orthodontist didn't really encourage me enough, or I didn't know, or my dog ate them, and I didn't realize I needed to wear them. Do you think there has been a generational shift in terms of what orthodontists are saying 30 year to, years ago to what they're saying now regarding the view on retention or are our patients lying to us? They can't be lying to us. So um, the, the studies are actually showing us that 70% of adult patients are coming to us because they have had orthodontic relapse. Not age-related changes, but orthodontic relapse. 70%, that's a lot. That's like a huge failure on the part of uh, whoever carry, is carrying out those treatments. Um, and uh, yes, I would say because, you know, they're adults and they are mostly uh, patients who have had their orthodontic treatment in their teen years. There has now, I think, been a change. So I think historically, you know, even when I was doing my training, we were taught if you place the teeth in a certain position in terms of the occlusion, in terms of the soft tissues and the periodontal tissues, that it will remain stable. And it was all, almost sort of a hierarchical thing. You know, you were only a really good orthodontist if you could keep, if, if the teeth stay stable after you treated them without retainers. Like what madness mm. is that now when we think about it? So there, there was definitely a problem in the, in the way that, uh, orthodontists were taught um but that you know those were real beliefs that that we you know as orthodontists as a group that we had um but i think now there is a real big realization there uh, you know the research now is so much better uh, we have controlled randomized controlled trials to show us that you know teeth don't stay straight uh, so there's there's a lot of more research and i think uh less head in the clouds um so yes there has been a, a generational change and and i think actually probably a really big realization that teeth don't stay straight they don't are you enjoying the protrusive dental podcast well allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later. You can get all of that for less than 15 tax deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this, the Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. 
Awesome. I was I, I wasn't expecting what you'd say to that. I maybe I thought you would say that actually no, we were doing it all along. But no, it's it's good of you to say that actually there has been a, a change in thinking, change in the evidence, and and that's what we're seeing. And you're totally right. I mean, so many of these patients that I'm treating with orthodontics are relapse cases, adults, and it's always this, the same stories uh, you have. So uh, I'm gonna jump onto the next question if you don't mind. So I'm gonna say, if you had to have, I mean, have you had orthodontics, uh, Angela? No. Well, I've had extraction orthodontics, so I have no canines. Okay. No lower premolars, uh, but that was it. No, never a brace. Do you wear a, a retention? Do you have retention? I don't have a retainer. Uh, I've never had orthodontic treatment. Uh, mm. I don't have a retainer, but my teeth are moving, and I am uh, on the verge of having some aligner treatment. Okay, so let's let's hypothetically speak now, and let's say you've had that uh, aligner treatment for yourself, yep. for your own mouth. What would be your retention protocol and why? Okay. Um, so I would go for a lower fixed retainer because um, whenever I place a lower fixed retainer for my patients, they always, the reaction is always like, oh, that's okay. It's, it's comfortable. It, it's not um, invasive. And, and, you know, there's always a very positive reaction. Um, however, when I place the upper, no one ever is, you know, patients generally, uh, you can tell uh, if you read their sort of uh, emotions or they, you know, read them. Um, the initial very first reaction is it's not comfortable or it, it doesn't feel as good as the lower one. Um, and, you know, that's obviously to do with the occlusion um, and also the anatomy of the upper incisors. So for the uppers, I would go for a... Um, removable retainer to be worn on a part-time basis and I think that's also to do with the fact with the amount of risk in in which teeth are more likely to move so in my case my lower incisors I've got one that's beginning to rotate that's going to be more unstable I better hold that one um, also age-related changes I'm still quite young just you know I'm, I'm gonna grow uh, older <laughs> and uh, my teeth are going to move so yeah in terms of age-related changes, we know it's the lower incisors that are going to lose their alignment, so why not hold those? So I would go for lower fixed and um, upper removable. Brilliant, and uh, I, th I think I totally agree with the my patient's perception after an upper fixed retainer. And also, in terms yeah. of if I was to count up all the retainer, fixed retainer failures that I've seen, I've seen disproportionately more upper fixed retained uh, fixed retainers fail than lowers, even though you'd imagine that there have been more lower fixed retainers placed. So uh, it could just go to show that. You know, is there any evidence to say the failure rate of upper fixed retainers is is higher than lower fixed retainers? So as far as you know, I, do, I mean, I don't expect you to be an academic in any way. I know you're very wet fingered, but as far as you, you know, because that's a difficult thing to study anyway. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to study. And in terms of retainer research, they, you know, I think a lot of the, the things that we as clinicians do when it comes to retention, uh, because there's not that much research, is, is mostly based on our clinical experience, uh, you know, and what works in our hands and, and what doesn't. So, um, and also individual patient um, preference, right? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. According to the evidence, which is uh, better? In terms of uh, fixed versus... Removable yes, absolutely. Or... Fixed versus removal. Which is which is the ultimate evidence based uh, form of retention uh, that you would recommend, or, or, or the evidence would recommend? Is there so, one that's more superior significantly than the other? Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, there, there are a lot of factors when you're looking at what's more superior and what's not, right? Okay, so uh, firstly, you, um, you're looking at how stable do the teeth remain over a period of time with either a fixed retainer or with a removable retainer. So the, the clinical um, outcome, essentially. So that, that's one thing that you're lo looking at in terms of comparing the two. And the other thing you're looking at is how is it for the patient? You know, um, what is the patient preference? What is their experience? What what are they more likely to, to get on with? So if we were actually looking at the research, I'd say probably the best um, research that we have so far is a randomized controlled trial that's come out of the Royal London um, by um, Al Magari and his, um, you know, all that orthodontic team. They collaborated with a periodontist there and they compared stability and periodontal health with fixed and with removable retainers over a period of four years. And, and they did that quite recently. So that paper came out in 2018. It, it's a randomized control trial. And they did everything uh, perfectly. And, and what they found was that actually over four years, the fixed retainer is better clinically in terms of holding your alignment, so the clinical outcome. And uh, in terms of periodontal health, because, you know, a lot of... Um, uh, concerns with fixed retainers is that we may be compromising the periodontal health in terms of patients aren't able to clean properly, right? Um, but um, there was no difference. So the periodontal health was not great, actually, in both groups. So, you know, I think it goes to show that uh, it's important to educate our patients, even in terms of oral hygiene, after they've completed their oral um, orthodontic treatment. But um, from that, <clears throat> and from my clinical experience, I would say fixed retainers. If you want to really ensure that you're going to hold the teeth and you're not putting it in the hands of the patient, fixed retainers. Brilliant. Uh, so that, that's really useful to know. And actually, from the periodontal literature, we, we know that just because someone has crowding, that it doesn't necessarily mean that their uh, periodontal health will be not as good as someone uh, w without crowding. And it's down to the patient who, you know, who can actually be bothered. So if you're a good brusher, you're a good cleaner routinely, that's going to be uh, true whether you've got crowded teeth uh, or, or, or not. So the fact that you said that, hang on, it, it, even if they've got a fixed retainer or they don't have a fixed retainer, their periodontal outcomes are similar. It just shows us that it's, the, it's actually the patient themselves that needs to take it upon yeah. them to, to, to do the hard work. So this leads very nicely to a clinical question now is if you could just, because most people are listening at the moment to this while they're chopping the onions, gardening, washing dishes or whatever. Let's talk about one of the most difficult things I found is uh, when you're newly starting to do it is a very fiddly fixed retainer that you're placing. Now I've tried um, various methods, including lab made on an acrylic jig. And that is really quick and easy actually. But for those who have got the, the, the wires and you know those that sometimes you need to bend and those like the flex tech ones that you don't need to bend, can you just run through which you use and, and talk, us, talk us through your clinical technique to placing successful fixed retainers on the lower arch? Okay, so um, I'm glad you said lower arch because that's probably, you know, it's the easiest. So you don't have the occlusion to think about, right? So uh, what I use usually, uh, well, what I always use um, is um, lab-made uh, stainless steel uh, twist flex multi-strand wire. And what I ask my lab to do is to uh, produce for me uh, um, 
a molded wire. So they've bent it by hand uh, and it's customized uh, with a jig. And it, but it's not an acrylic jig where it's held on both sides with the canine on the canines. It's basically a memosil jig, you know, the soft uh, memosil. So they they basically make the the uh, retainer and then they position it with this memosil that hangs just over the incisal edges of the centrals. Yeah. So I can then basically take that off the model and then hang it <clears throat> exactly the same way on the lower incisors in my patient. And then it is just sitting there very, very passively. And, um, uh, you know, that's the most important thing for me is that the retainer is passive. I'm not having to push it or hold it down when I'm bonding it to the teeth. Okay, so now I've got teeth that have pre are prepared. So I uh, clean them. I I use a sandblaster after they they've been cleaned. Um, love my Rondaflex. I actually Good. have so many of those. They're, they're my favorite thing. We have them all over the, the practice. So you know, I I clean I clean the teeth, um, and then uh, we go ahead and we bond it. But you know, um, I do not hold it down anywhere so you know i'm very very particular with our lab that it should be uh, made uh well and just to, to make it really tangible and very like you know so we can uh visualize it once you've got the memo uh, not, once you've got the memo sill on with the fixed retainer in place uh, essentially yeah oh fine shall i do next steps yeah because you want to know exactly like what do i do then right okay so now imagine i've got um clean teeth I've uh, so I've I've tried this retainer on. I've checked that it's fitting nicely. I, I basically hold it against each tooth and make sure that it's not having to displace to be sitting on that tooth. Okay. Then I remove it. We etch the teeth, bond the teeth. I then hang this retainer back on uh, intraorally, and uh, I start to bond. So I use a light um, I use um, light flow composite. And I just start with the, so if I start with the most distal tooth, so if it's the, if it's a canine, usually you'd go lower three to three, right? So, um, I just, I place some bond on that canine and my nurse cures it. That's it done. Then we do the lateral. Then I remove the memosil jig and then I just go around all the teeth, centrals and then the other, the other side. And that way you're just really ensuring that it, it is passive. It's, um, and it's comfortable for the patient and the teeth aren't going to move. So you're uh, tacking and you're uh, putting the, the flowable composite on the canines first and then removing the... No, the... I, don't do, I don't do this canine and then this canine because you can then introduce uh, flexion in your uh -huh. fixed retainer. So I, I go canine, lateral, central, central lateral canine. I go round like that. You're not going to start to then introduce flexion forces. Yeah, that is a real gem push, right there. That is a real purple yeah. pearl right there. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, I'm glad I asked that. The, the wire there, then you start to then hold it here. It could lift up in the middle, right? Then you're going to have to push it down onto your centrals. Not good. Well, as you're, as you're bonding it on one canine, let's say your lower right canine, and then the lateral, just before you put the composite on the lateral, are you gently pushing the wire up against the, the, the teeth with a flat plastic or, or, or not at all? No, I just, um, at that point, I would just hold the, the memosil jig and just make sure it's not lifting up, mm -hmm. as in coming up. But no, no, don't need to push it. If it's made well, uh, and this is where you've got to really get to know your technician, 
uh, and speak to your technician. Um, and, and once, you know, sometimes I send them back so they know that um, she's fussy. Um, she's, you know, I'm not actually, you know, my therapist doesn't put my fixed retainers on for me. I do them myself. I'm that fussy about it. Um, so I think it's just really making sure that your technician knows what, what you're expecting and you're expecting a well-adapted passive fit. Amazing. Thanks so much for that description. Now, here's a little curveball. You've got yeah. your fixed retainers and you've beautifully described how, how we're going to place it. And I, I've learned something that actually just be careful not to bond the, adjacent, uh, the canine, then the canine. Uh, it's a great uh, point you raised there. But what about people who've had expansion? Because we know expansion uh, can relapse, but your fixed retainer is not going to uh, protect from that if it's canine's canine. So what would you do adjunctively for these patients who've had expansion? Okay, so I'll tell you what I, I do, right? Because there is actually no fixed or correct way. There's just probably so many ways. But I use dual retention for all my patients. So um, what I recommend to my patients is uh, let's have a fixed retainer, especially if you've expanded everything and, you know, nothing's going to be stable really. Um, so a fixed retainer uh, followed by wearing a um, vacuum-formed retainer at nighttime on a part-time basis. So I, I say, okay, so you've got your fixed retainers, but we need to support the posterior teeth. It's all about sort of explaining to them, as, you know, why you're doing and why you're asking them to do so much. So the fixed retainer is on and they then for four months wear a um, nighttime retainer uh, every night. They will then be, I'll, I'll review them. And then based on sort of their experiences, because usually they haven't worn it every night, they may have skipped a night and they will then explain to you how tight it felt the night after they skipped a night. And you can kind of gauge by questioning them how much stability there is. Um, and then, you know, if I feel comfortable, I'll ask them to reduce the wear to alternate nights for the next four months. And then eventually by the end of 12 months, um, because I, I review my patients for, for forever almost um uh, but at the end of 12 months i would be hoping that we could get them down to one or two nights a week but it's really really customized jazz it's so different for every patient because of so many factors as you know well, I appreciate you giving us a, a, like a guideline answer because that's that's really helpful. But then you're, you you totally raise a great point. Retention should be specific for that individual patient because certain movements are you know always going to be less stable. You know, severe rotations and stuff. You got yeah. to fact, factor that in. Um, so so that's covered that really nicely. I appreciate that. When would you would you ever use? A, do you ever use a, a Hawley retainer, uh, or is that something that's really quite old school and there's no place for it? Sorry if that's a bit controversial. <laughs> Um, if you describe also for those listeners who don't know what a Hawley retainer is as well, please. Okay, yeah, good idea. Okay, so a Hawley retainer is a removable retainer that's made of um, acrylic as the base plate. And then there are um, stainless steel wires that are molded as uh, cribs to hold it in for retention. So on the sixes, on the fours or the fives. And then essentially there's a stainless steel wire, which is called the labial bow that runs from three to three. And so, uh, you know, uh, that is traditionally what uh, retainers were made of before we, we came across these vacuum formed Essex type retainers. And um, 
there is still a place for them, I think. I think if you've got a patient who has a number of teeth missing and, you know, they're going to have uh, time before their prosthodontic work, then, you know, holy retainers are quite a nice way to uh, add pontics, pontics to, to, to it to maintain and hold spaces. You can, like, use little wire spurs on either side of the dentalist spaces to really make sure that you don't get closing in of the teeth into that space. So retaining spaces, it's really good. It's also really good for... Um, if you need settling, because you know your your teeth, uh, posterior teeth can still sort of uh, move. Um, I would say those are probably the the most um, times that uh, we would use it. But actually, I don't because patients who have gone to lengths to have treatment that's invisible or unnoticeable or discreet are not going to thank you for giving them a holy retainer. And you have to actually really be sure that your patient's going to wear their retainers, right? I mean, you're, you're relying on them. And um, I just I just feel that uh, in terms of aesthetics and comfort and speech dysfunction, they're not popular. I agree. And no one will ever thank you for, for giving you one, though. So uh, I'm glad you uh, agree with me, uh, with my views on Hawley as well. Uh, Angela, you've covered my main questions. Now, I'm going to take a couple of questions from the Protrusive um, Dental Community Facebook group, actually. Some really oh, wow. uh, cracking questions that have been sent in. Uh, Zach, my buddy Zach, who's done some great uh, episodes on comprehensive care, uh, he wants to know about... Well, I'm going to actually read it out because, you know, what Zach says, he's very wordy. English, you know, yeah. Can can you ask about the psychological aspects of retainer wear? Uh, So so he thinks it's a grossly neglected problem. I never even thought about this before. So uh, I'd rather give my patients three sets of removable retainers, okay, Right. you know, design dependent on biomechanics than a fixed retainer. Because what he's found, what, what Zach's saying is that, for fixed retainer wearers, they think that, oh, that's my retention done. And then five years later, if you get an arch form collapse and then they're relapsing all over the show, that's his own words there. Um, what, what could you say to, to, to Zach as an interesting sort of debate or discussion uh, about his viewpoint on, on the psychological aspects of having a fixed retainer and the patient thinking that's everything, but then you can get an arch form collapse? What would you say to that? Okay, I think it's all about patient education. Yeah, so um, the way that I uh, handle retention is from the very first day that patient comes to my into my surgery. I uh, talk about retention a lot at consultation. Um, probably half of my chat is about retention, and it's the first part of their treatment plan that I explain to them that, <clears throat> okay, if we move your teeth, this is what we are then going to have to do in terms of maintenance. Are you happy for that to happen? Are you prepared for that to happen? Because if it's a no, that conversation may either need to stop or you need to then change tact and explain to the patient, well, then your teeth are going to move because there's no other ways of guaranteeing it. So it's a lot to do with uh, patient education. You've you've got to consent them for um, moving their teeth and knowing that the risks are that their teeth will uh, relapse if they if they don't play ball with the retention part of of the treatment but in my 
you know, we're still, as orthodontists, we're still responsible for their retention. I don't think we can just put the fixed retainer on and <clears throat> expect them to see, see them in five years and, and think that everything's going to be fine. So, yes, that's right. Um, <clears throat> they will still, you know, sometimes you can see a patient with a fixed retainer on, but really walked arch form because, you know, the teeth have been firstly being moved in very unstable positions. Um, and then, uh, you know, fixed retainers can also fail along the way. So I, you know, for me, I think the best way is to, um, give them the fixed retainers. Give them the removable retainers and then ensure that they are coming in for regular maintenance. So in my practice, um, I have an orthodontic plan that patients join. Um, it's um, included in their package in the first year. And then following that, they sign up to a plan. And therefore, I then know that um, they have committed to maintaining their their, their retention, and then I do everything I can to ensure that their teeth then stay straight. So they come in, I check their fixed retainers, I replace them if they need to be replaced, we check their removable retainers, and we keep re-educating them at every point. So um, the psyche of my patients is, is not that same psyche that um, they think they're going, their teeth are going to stay straight once they've been straightened. They are absolutely freaked out that their teeth are going to move if they don't carry on with their retainers. So, uh, you know, I think it's a lot to do with how we educate our patients, but that's a lot to do with how we educate ourselves and what we understand about retention. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems at the moment that, um, you know, we're all learning how to move teeth, but there's very little emphasis placed on retention. It's actually the most important part of the, the plan. You know, if you can't, those days, if those teeth don't stay straight, you're just going to keep getting patients coming back to you. Uh, it's, it's just highly frustrating. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's probably, uh, you know, the way to do it. Joint responsibility. Amazing. Education, joint responsibility, and, and, and not just relying just on a fixed retainer. There's also that removable component to, to help with the, the, the arch form. Uh, Richard McKinder actually on the group also, um, has a different mentality. And that, you know, we have to respect different mentalities. Richard's mentality, uh, as a, as a GDP and, and, a, and a very good one at that. Hello, Richard. I know you're listening, buddy. Uh, he provides his patients with I assume it's Vivera. He said three sets of removable retainers. So let's go, let's just talk about yep. Vivera's. Okay. He gives his yep. patients Vivera's because he mm -hmm. feels safe in knowing that should there be a failure of retention, it's easy to then point the finger at the patient for compliance, right? Because he, he feels as though if a fixed retainer fails silently, then he feels that the patient will be able to point the finger at the dentist. That's an interesting uh, yeah, viewpoint yeah. as well. What would you say uh, about that? So, um, you know, the, I don't think there should, I don't think one should feel that, you know, that somebody's blaming somebody and somebody's blaming somebody else. Uh, you know, there is a solution for this. So if, if when you give a fixed, uh, a fixed retainer to a patient, when you place that, if you give them then a removable retainer, that is their, um, secure blanket. Okay. And this is how I explain it to the patient that, uh, you know, your fixed retainer can fail. So, you know, when we get to the point where you're only wearing your nighttime retainer one night a week, uh, you're, you're, you, you're doing that so that you're actually checking your fixed retainer. You're putting it in. And, uh, if it 
feels comfortable, that's fine. Your fixed retainer is doing what it needs to be doing. If it feels tight, you need to pick up the phone and you need to uh, organize to come and see me because there's something wrong. Your teeth are moving and it's probably your fixed retainer is broken. And they get that in writing too. Um, so I would say that is the way to deal with it. Otherwise, yeah, you can just put it all on the patient and give them a Vivero retainers. But think about it from your shoes. If you, you know, if I, um, you know, if I, when I finish my treatment, I, I'm not going to want to wear Vivero retainers 24 hours a day for six months. And then, you know, uh, every night for the rest of my life, because uh, that is actually um, how they're designed to be retaining the teeth. Um, I don't think my patients would thank me for making them wear their aligners like that. Uh, it's it's not what I would want for myself. I, I appreciate that. And also, uh, I think the answer to, or not an answer, but just a good valid point to this question. And the last one is a belt and braces approach, right? You want your fixed tension and your removal and they, they do their uh, tasks together and it gets amplified and the the whole patient education so so that's all you know uh, wrapped within that uh, as, as a package so last question out from but, rob uh, uh, yeah, sorry, go, sorry, Dan, go for, just mm. one more point about mm, these retainers you know when it when it comes to sort of you know orthodontists and gdps it kind of feels like sometimes fixed retainers are the bane of our lives, right? Like, so patients are coming in, it's broken again, and, you know, then you're having to fix it. But I tell you what, if you if you put them on this, you know, if you have some sort of a plan where you know that you are being remunerated for fixing their retainers, and they know that they're not paying every time for an emergency appointment, the psyche of, of the psychological feeling about fixed retainers it really changes and it just becomes about, okay, we're all in this together and we're going to look, look after it together. And you get the odd patient who has to come in a number of times, but then you also have the odd patients who can maintain a fixed retainer for three years and nothing happens, you know? So I think the psyche about fixed retainers uh, has to change. And it's and it's actually about the amount of time that we have to spend in our diaries looking after them um, and how we're remunerated. So I think everyone should really think about uh, a plan. It really changes everything. I re when you said it about t t seven, eight minutes ago, you mentioned the all-time plan. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I got sidetracked. But you're right, this uh, this plan so that there's joint responsibility and the patient doesn't feel like they're they're paying a suddenly like a higher fee when they're coming in when it's broken and they sort of feel protected it's like an insurance policy for them and it yeah. also means that uh, you as a dentist orthodontist are remunerated uh, as well along the way so then it doesn't feel like so, you know sometimes you come in and maybe it's been you know seven months since you've placed a fixed trainer and then you feel like okay I can't, I can't possibly charge this patient because it's, it's been so soon but I think there's something in it for both the dentist and the patient to have a, an orthodontic plan so that is a, a real gem so if if you guys out there are doing a fair amount of orthotics, as Andrew says, consider having a plan component because because that will really get rid of those issues, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and making sure that your patients know nothing's for life, you know. Um, they don't go and have their hair colored and think they're going to do it once and, and then that's it. It's, it's done, you know. They they need to understand there's maintenance involved. It's an aesthetic treatment, always going to need um, maintenance. It's the same with the uh, composite polishing. It's the same with teeth whitening. So, you know, it's the same with that. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, last question now is for, sent from Rob Arden. Uh, hi, Rob. Thanks for listening, buddy. Um, does everyone have a good rule of thumb for 
upper anterior bonded retainers. See, Angela, we couldn't go the whole episode without discussing this uh, very annoying uh, thing about upper uh, uh, fixed retainers. He says, especially when occlusion means space is limited. So uh, he knows that TIFF on IAS courses, and he's you know, TIFF's been a, a great guest on the podcast before, and we've sort of yeah. discussed this uh, a similar topic about using uh, restorative composites, so like your, you know, your nano hybrid or something like that, instead of flowable, uh, and dialing the patients in. So dialing, as in uh, dial the chap who came up with the concept yep. of uh, bonding yep. things in high at the front and letting the posterior settle intrusion at the front so please do refer back to episode 16 and 17 i think it was if you guys want to listen to more about a dial but essentially it's sometimes um difficult because you want to make the patient as comfortable as possible so you want to actually shave that composite down so it's not too proud uh, but at the same time you want to have the strength but I've been thinking, you know, in my diploma, we never discuss this technique. Um, and, and I've got a feeling that orthodontists don't routine, routinely dial uh, upper anterior retainers. And, and my thinking is, is because, and that's actually Goss as well to thank because we, he, when he came on the, as a guest, is because part of the objectives of comprehensive orthodont orthodontics is to get the overbite correct enough so that you actually have your space, right? Yeah, that's, that's, you've just hit the nail on the head. It's a great question rob because it is the it is like something that bothers uh every clinician at some point uh you know in their in their working time but um as orthodontists when we're when we're you know training we we, we never get really taught about short-term orthodontics or uh, you know comp um every patient is treated comprehensively which means that we are finishing them to the ideal overbite and the ideal overjet. So essentially, you should always have enough space to put on the fixed retainer without it affecting the occlusion. Okay, but in real life now, we know that, um, you know, there are patients who are only going to, uh, who are going to request anterior alignment only, maybe only upper arch treatment. And um, firstly, I think the most important thing is to, know from the outset how you're going to be finishing the occlusion and to let the patient know. Don't promise them a fixed retainer when then afterwards you can't put one on. That's really important. Absolutely. Um, but if you, you know, are hell-bent on putting on that fixed retainer uh, or the patient is really convinced that that's the only way they want to retain their teeth and you don't have the space occlusally to do it, then I don't see a problem with with carrying out the dull technique. Um, you know, I I work very, very closely with prosthodontists, and so I see a lot of restorative stuff going on in the practice, and I see, um, you know, um, the dull concept. It works amazingly. Um, so I, I have no problems. Sometimes for my patients, when I've had problems with the occlusion, um, the prosthodontist has just put on canine uh, ramps with composite. So palately building up the palatal surfaces of the upper canines. So then that, that opens up the bite a little, allows me space to put on the, the fixed retainers. And then um, there's a little bit of that darling going on. Uh, and again, it's just making sure that your patients understand that they're going to have a little bit of tiny open bite at the back um, and that it's going to take months for that to resolve. Um, no, I, I, that, that, that's fantastic. And I think you raised two good points there, uh, many of many good points. But the two highlight I want to highlight is a patient communication. Sometimes, you know, from the outset, uh, as a GDP, we, 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 we do compromise treatment. Just look on Instagram. Right. Uh, and, uh, and you know that you're not going to be able to fully cor correct this overbite uh, without 
committing to uh, a, a comprehensive route of treatment, which you know I think we should all open our eyes to. It is really good to do that. But if you know and the patient knows that you're compromising and then they've had a specialist consultation and they know what they're getting themselves into, then you know from the outset that you probably won't have enough space. So then A, communication and recognizing that. Uh, and then B, you actually mentioned a really good tip about adding a composite on the canines there. But if anyone's going to do it, Make sure you design it in a way that the load is transmitted into the canines along the long axis, uh, which would actually help. And again, again, patient communication so that they understand what it's going to feel like in terms of at the front and how long it's going to settle. There are review protocol that be um, sort of arranged with that and a bit of contingency planning. What happens if it doesn't happen? And we know it's quite predictable, but you have the odd patient where it might not happen. So just have all that upfront in a, in a really good conversation yeah, with the patient is, is key. Uh, Angela, you've been absolutely fantastic. I knew this would be brilliant and, and it has been uh, about retention. I think we've really covered, uh, I'm sorry, I, 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 get, I threw some curveballs at known. you. There's so much to talk about with, uh, with retainers, right? We, we can could go easily on. go on. We can easily go on, right? Because we can talk more about technique at the top. We can talk about when uh, I've seen some case four where the, the twist flexes, you know, started to talk the teeth uh, some years from now and stuff like that. But uh, we're, we're running out of time. But I just want to say, Thank you so much for, for coming on to sharing, you know, all these gems. Uh, if there are some uh, people who want to learn more from you, what, 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 where can they find out more about um, your, you know, I know you've done quite a few lectures on, on tubules and whatnot. Do you offer any educational programs, uh, any study clubs for, for dentists? So we have the Dental Rooms Academy, um, at the, and that's part of our, our practice. And uh, we regularly um, uh, carry out uh lectures uh, there we you know we have an in-house training facility and so you know um we quite often uh once a month pre-covid times once a month we were doing case discussions with uh every time there's uh, you know two specialists so quite often i'm there um but uh yeah that's my favorite place my other favorite place is tubules um, I love uh, speaking on that. We've just started an aligner panel there. We're going to be called the A-Team. And we'll be <laughs> talking a lot about, um, and Goz, with Goz and a few other great uh, clinicians. Um, so, yeah, those are probably the main channels for me. So through the Dental Rooms Academy uh, and through Tubules. And, and, and your Instagram, Instagram handle. Yep, please yeah. tell us your Instagram I'm handle. Dr. Angela Orluck. So, Please, Amazing. please message me. Uh, I, I love that platform. It's my favorite thing at the moment. And, and, and one of the reasons I also wanted to get you on is because uh, you, like me, are a big cricket fan. Yes. <laughs> I love cricket. I love cricket. So, so my I, children. I, I, I need yes, I remember. So I know you're you, you're a Kings Eleven Punjab fan and the IPL, but your your children and I think uh, you know your family are Mumbai Indian fans. They are indeed. They are indeed. So. They they took it this time, but um, yeah, that that sort of helped keep the peace. But but jazz, <laughs> we're, we're getting there. That Kings Eleven, I, I feel like you know, next next time's going to be our time. I feel like Liverpool felt for like 30 years that like next year, next year's our season, you know, so, but I'm, I'm hoping it will come true and next year it will be our season in the IPL. So Angela, thanks so much once again. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jazz. I hope you enjoyed that with Angela. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Uh, if you're not already part of it, do join the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group where we've got such a, a thriving community. It hasn't got like thousands of thousands of dentists. It's got a small group, but it's all the Protruserati who enjoy the podcast and I just 
I just feel the love and the connection and the chemistry between everyone. I think we're also helpful in this group uh, because I think it's like a safe little place because we're kind of like-minded. Like if you listen to this, you are similar to someone else who listens to Protrusive Dental Podcast. So if you want to find that community, do join the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you there. Anyway, I'll catch you in the next episode, which is all about elastics in Invisalign. Uh, the do's and don'ts of elastics. And I'll catch you same time, same place next week. See ya. Yeah.